This podcast episode is sponsored by Statera. Statera is a web-based application that helps youth athletes and their stakeholders estimate training load, track maturation status, monitor readiness, and manage injury. Put together by coaches working with busy youth athletes, Statera helps keep things simple and brings together the most important training information in one place to ensure that effective athlete-centered decisions can be made. No more complicated Excel tutorials and spreadsheets, just upload your athletes' data and their training schedule and start to take control of their training commitments and workload. Make more informed decisions and protect your athletes' well-being, supporting their performance. Statera takes your data very seriously. GDPR compliant and registered with the ICO, choose from a range of maturation indices and validated measures or customize your own. Statera can record any training variable and all your data is fully exportable. To reach out today and get a free walkthrough, head over to www.statera.uk. That's S-T-A-T-E-R-A dot U-K. Welcome to the Athletic Evolution podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Andrew Pachado. Andrew is the head strength conditioning coach at Tyler Legacy High School, located in East Texas. After coaching stops with the University of Florida, IMG Academy, the Milwaukee Brewers, and the Olympic Training Center, Andrew obtained his PhD from Auckland University of Technology where he worked to implement and research the effects of a resistance training program into a secondary school curriculum. So welcome to the podcast, Andrew. It's great to have you on. Thanks for your time today. Definitely. Thanks for having me. So for those who haven't come across your research and, uh, you know, across you as a coach, give us a bit of an understanding of your own perspective. You know, as you were growing up, how did you get involved in sport and athletics and how's that developed into what you're doing today? Yeah, I just, uh, I, I, I played a lot of sports as kids, uh, as a kid, baseball, um, football, basketball, kind of tried a little bit of everything. I had an older brother, um, that was always bigger than me and, uh, challenged me in anything physical. Um, but you know, I, I didn't really come from a super sporting family. They were very supportive and, um, you know, supporting me in whatever I wanted to do, but they didn't really, you know, it wasn't one of those. I played football, so I'm going to make you into a football player kind of thing. So uh, I just played a lot of sports growing up and I enjoyed them and I excelled in them. I think I was a bit of an early mature. So earlier on, I was, you know, a little bigger and better than, than some of the other kids. And that kind of helped me continue down that path. And because they were, you know, not super um, sheltered or anything with me, I, I just developed the skills that I needed to, to be able to thrive in those environments. And it, it just kept me going. Um, I grew up in Texas playing playing high school football, so that's a big thing. And uh, I, I actually lived in Florida for a little bit too, and we played flag football there until like high school. And we moved here when I was going to second grade, and my, my parents went to sign me up for football. football. And uh, after they were done, they're like, okay, so you're gonna pick up your pads on Saturday of this week. And my mom was like, what? <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, and, and, and then I got into tackle football as like a eight-year-old and, uh, you know, that just kept kept going me down that route. So, mm. so you know, was that a bit of a Friday Night Lights experience for, for you or did it go a bit different? It was, uh, I mean, yeah, I played on Friday night under the lights, but was I at a big high school like that, really good at, at football and everything? Not really. Um, we went through, it was an interesting high school career and, and, and a lot of adversity, but 
in four years of high school, we went through three head coaches, uh, played a lot of different positions, got moved around. Um, I wasn't, you know, great at any one thing. I was pretty good at kind of everything. Uh, just worked hard and, you know, did whatever the coach said kind of thing. Uh, but it was, you know, compared to some other states and probably uh, other high school football experiences, I would still say it was kind of, yeah, kind of big and, um, you know, not quite what you see in that movie, but definitely has a lot of uh, higher level field and, you know, some of the other high school football games I've seen and stuff like that. Hmm. So was that your, your primary sport football? Were you doing any of the other kind of basketball or baseball alongside it? So that was always my main sport. Um, and then in basketball, in middle school, I played basketball and baseball. And then my freshman year of high school, when I got there, we had powerlifting as a sport, which was new to me. I didn't even know what that was. Um, so I got, I got into powerlifting as a freshman and I was still playing baseball that year. And so that was kind of all happening in the spring. So I would go to, go to uh, school, do my powerlifting workout in the morning, go to school all day go do a track workout and then go to baseball practice. And, and that, you know, I made it through that year, but then I was kind of like, I, I, you know, I need to do something else. Um, and because football was my main sport and I looked at powerlifting as training for football and track as training for football, I, I dropped baseball and just continued with football, um, powerlifting and track throughout the rest of my career. And, uh, and really powerlifting, you know, by my senior year, I was more into powerlifting than I was football. I was, it was the first individual sport I had really done. And I liked that aspect of it because you didn't have to rely on other people working hard. You could just work hard and, you know, get better. Um, and that was always big for me. So that was kind of my main sport, you know, towards the end of the end of, end of uh, my high school career. And then how did that you know, opportunity or that kind of thought process of going into the, the coaching you know, sports science, strength conditioning side of things. When did that start to become a bit of a seed for you? Yeah, it was, it was, it was in high school. Um, I think it was my junior year. We got our, our, our third coaching staff and just, they came halfway through my third year. So this is like, you know, it's crazy, but, uh, and we had a coach on staff that was a strength and conditioning coach. First time ever. Normally it was just a football coach that ran it. You know, I didn't know anything at the time. So I was getting bigger, getting stronger, you know, oh, it must be working. Um, and we got a staff and he coached the defensive line too for football, but he was also on staff and just worked with all the sports in the weight room all day. Um, I think he maybe taught one or two health classes or PE or something, but it was pretty, you know, I didn't realize that was a thing. So once I saw that and I was like, and I really enjoyed that aspect of sports in general, like ever since I started, we started in seventh grade here. So I was like 12, 13 years old when I started lifting, I had always been into that aspect of training. Um, and then, yeah, towards the end of high school, when I realized, like, I like training and preparing for the sport almost more than the sport itself. Uh, and then I realized that was, a, you know, an actual career path. You could actually just be a strength and conditioning coach. And that's kind of when I started looking more into it. Um, so that that coach and he didn't, you know, do anything special at the time. He was kind of just doing what he did. And I just that opened my eyes to you know, this as a career path and um, being able to do that, which is awesome. Hmm. Looking back, are there any kind of particular individuals or experiences that have really shaped your kind of journey or your coaching practice? Uh, other than other than that one experience and setting me down that path, 
uh, I mean, that was what I always wanted to do. So it wasn't ever like, you know, figuring out what I wanted to do in life and going there. That was like, once I figured out that was a thing, I just kept down that road. Um, and then in terms of specific things, I think each, I spent a lot of time in different roles and different settings and things, uh, small amounts of time, but you know, I kind of just picked up a little bit from each one. Uh, there was no, I wouldn't necessarily say there's one, you know, main influencer, one mentor I worked with for a long period of time that really shaped everything. It was kind of just, you know, pick up a couple of things here, pick up a couple of things there. I kept powerlifting. So I would, you know, take things from that, uh, and, and the coaches that helped me with that along the way. Um, but I would, I just try to learn from anyone and everyone I could really, uh, other athletes, other coaches, you know, if anything, the roles, trying these different roles helped me narrow my mind on what I wanted to do as a coach and who I wanted to work with and how I wanted to influence people. Um, so those types of things, but I, yeah, I can't really hang my hat on one mentor. Like, like a lot of people can, it's kind of just been, uh, a long journey of bodybuilding and powerlifting and sport performance coaches and little things I pick up here and there. And then just trying to meld those together in my own framework in my head and see where, where those things fit. So you kind of mentioned, obviously, you know, shaping your thoughts a bit more around who you wanted to work with and, and, you know, what sort of environment and such. So what is, is your kind of underlying driver or why, or like what, what's become clear for you around who you want to work with and what environment that is? Well, my main, my main thing for really why I do a lot of things I do is I just like to help people. So like, that's, that's my why. And it's not even necessarily just, in SNC, it's it's anything like if if someone asks for an article, I, I love just being the first person to be like, oh, here's this article and this, this and this that I've seen out there just to like, you know, get them down the path of, of learning what they want to learn. Um, so in in an SNC perspective, uh, you know, at different levels, you can offer a different kind of help or a different amount of help and you have a different amount of um, change that you can cause in an athlete. So at one point, you know, I had worked at a division one college and they're all pretty, you know, pretty good athletes already. And you can still coach them up and coach them hard and stuff, but you know, they're already got a good training agent or quite experienced. And then I worked at the Olympic training center uh, in Lake Placid with some of the sledding sports. And, you know, at that level, they were, they were really trained and they had a good strength and conditioning coach there and program there. So they were, they knew what they were doing and stuff. And, and sometimes there was, you know, there's days I would be in the weight room working all day and not really feel like I was offering much help because, you know, their technique is already good. They're already strong. You know, you're just making minor tweaks and, you know, helping in a, in a smaller role than you would um, at the middle or high school level. So those kind of things started shaping me more towards, you know, high school uh, the, this, and then all the other professional aspects of it in terms of, job security, pay, hours, stuff like that. I mean, once you once you go out there and work in some uh, not as rewarding settings, and then you realize that at the high school level, you can be more rewarding and you can also have a better fulfillment of helping people because, you know, there's literally people trying weights for the first time or, you know, doing any of that stuff. That's kind of what helped, helped me, guide me on that path and is probably going to end up keeping me here is because you can, you know, have someone in one semester progress so much, whereas working with an Olympic athlete for four months, you know, their squat might go up 10 pounds, 
and that that's a huge win kind of thing and it's like well i'm teaching this kid how to do a body weight squat and then they're back squatting you know their body weight within a couple months so just being able to see that i mean helps me yeah keep keep going that takes us nicely to your to your role at the high school so tell us a bit about your role at tyler legacy high what does it look like day to day obviously things are have been a bit to and fro with the COVID situation, but what's the kind of, I guess, the idea of your role and, and what impact you're trying to make there? Yep, so it's a high school with about 2,400 kids, um, 6A classification, the biggest one we have here in Texas. Um, the schedule this year, there's five athletic periods. So, you know, at, I'll have anywhere from basically three to seven sessions a day so normally the normal school day is 8 15 to 4 o'clock and i'll have you know five sessions within that depending on the time of the year i might have a session before school or a session after school um and then i also work with the, our middle schools we have two middle schools that feed into our high school we have i guess there's technically more but i work with two middle schools that feed into our high school so i'll go to one once a week and another once a week um and the way the schedule's set up and when I'm allowed to go there, I really am only working with eighth grade girls at those schools this year. Um, so that's that's typically how it works. I'm the, the strength and conditioning coach. There's only one of me and there's the sport coaches that will help when their team comes in the weight room. So how it is in Texas, and there's a lot of stuff going on on Twitter right now about you know different roles and stuff in high school, but I think we have it figured out here where I don't need a teaching certification. I don't teach any classes formally. So the sport coaches are, you know, in charge for attendance and role and, you know, marking grades in the grade book for them. I basically just have to show up and coach, which is awesome because it allows me to do what I'm, what I'm there for. And I don't have to worry about the admin side of things. Um, even role, like it's not hard, but it's just another thing and another aspect that, you know, it's great to have someone else take care of that. So I do that. Uh, I'll have anywhere from, you know, 15 to 80 kids in the weight room at once, depending how many teams we have. So basically a kid will show up for athletics and I'll sit down with the coach and decide there will work out their lifting schedule based on when they want to lift and what days, you know, what I have, what teams in and stuff. And uh, so I could have one team in there by themselves. I could have three teams in there all at once. And, I've, you know, got programs for each of those teams and the coaches are helping run that program for their team. And I'm kind of floating and um, helping where I see fit. So is it fair to say the kind of premise of the role is more around the performance of the sport teams or performance of the athletes rather than kind of, you know, physical education more widely? For sure, for sure. Like I have nothing to do with PE curriculum or PE um, kids at the school or, um, you know, necessarily a holistic approach to their health either they have health classes that they take um, they have PE classes that they take if they take athletics that counts as their PE credit so they don't need to take PE but the way the program is set up is is around sports performance for the most part um, not all the kids in there are necessarily trying to play at the highest level or um, you know there's still definitely kids in there for fun and whatnot. So the goals of the program don't really change, but how I deliver it and my expectations of and what I'm trying to get out of it are a little different. 
um, in terms of, you know, this kid's not going to play soccer after high school. So we don't need to do super advanced training. I'm just trying to teach them some basic things so that when they graduate high school and they go to LA fitness, they'll know how to do a squat or, you know, something like that. So I definitely approach it with, with that mindset, um, depending on the group, because there's different groups and, and different, and di- even within those groups, there's different athletes. There, there might be an athlete in a group that is high level and there might be an athlete in, in the same group that is not. So um, they might be doing the same program, but how I coach them might be slightly different based on you know, their ability levels, their uh, desires to play at the next level and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it's, it's not, it's not a, I don't teach a PE class. I'm not, they don't come to me for weight training or health or anything like that. They come to athletics to train to get better for the sport, essentially. And is that set up quite common across, across Texas? Like, uh, obviously you mentioned your own experience, you know, it wasn't until you were sort of halfway through your high school career that you, you had a strength conditioning coach, but is that common now to have a, a high school SNC coach? Yes. It, and it, and it varies so much state by state. Um, but once again, this is where I think Texas or, or our district has it right because, because I can do that. And, you know, it's a whole different debate whether that's the best system or not. But in terms of, you know, getting the athletes that I need in the door and um, being able to do what I need to do without other distractions, it's the best as a strength and conditioning coach to have it set up like this. Whereas I know other states and maybe even other schools within Texas, you know, if if a kid wants to train for their sport during the school day, they'll sign up for a weight training class or, a, you know, strength and conditioning class. And then you'll have all these different sports mixed together in one class. And, you know, there's ways you can program and deliver that system, but it's, you know, then it's a coach thinking about, okay, how about I make this a curriculum based class, you know, where we, we might have to have grades or stuff like that. Um, that's a whole different approach pro- probably to how you would set the class up. Whereas for me, it's not necessarily required. So I haven't done that. There are some other whole more holistic things I would like to blend into our program. So it's not, you know, just this performance-based thing. Um, but I would say it's common, yeah, to, and that's how it was in high, when I was in high school. I took athletics. I never took PE since seventh grade. Um, you know, we, we train for a sport or if your sport's in off season, then you're doing off season training where you're lifting and running and doing that kind of stuff. Uh, so I would, I would say it's pretty common in Texas. Other, other states I know are different um, and they might have, have their program set up slightly different as well. Hmm. And then like you obviously mentioned anywhere between sort of 15 to 80 kids at a session, which is pretty, that must be pretty demanding. How do, how do you work the logistics with that? Obviously you got a bit of help from the, the technical uh, the sport coaches, but what does that kind of look like in terms of that variability? Yeah. Uh, when, when it's, you know, when it's less kids, it's easy. Cause I like having teams by themselves. Cause I can, I can, I can tailor everything more, more to them, you know, give them more sport specific examples for how this is going to help their sport versus if I have three teams and they're all doing a similar movement, I have to say, well, this jump is helping this movement in this sport and this movement in this sport. And, you know, it does help all those movements, but it's easier when you can tailor everything and, you know, each team has a kind of different vibe and different culture when they come in there anyway. So um, just being able to match that and be on their wavelength instead of, you know, different teams that operating at different levels and seeing each other, how they do that uh, makes it a little difficult. But I mean, we have 12 combo racks in, in our, in our weight room. So like two rows of six, 
double-sided rack. So we have 24 workstations. So if, if I get three or four kids per station, like logistically we can fit everyone in there and then we'll kind of just split the teams up so they're not all mismatched. Okay, softball's over there, baseball's over here, you know, maybe another team over there off to the side. Um, and so last year, my first year there, I would just write the workout on the board on a whiteboard, which is all, all the way on one side of the weight room. We have a, like a long, narrow weight room. It was all the way on one side because we have two rows of racks. You know, it's hard to see sometimes. And I would really only have two programs at that point. I would have one for like my freshman novice groups and one for the older groups and all the sports would do similar things. I would change the sets and reps for the teams that are in our off season. Um, so I've changed, I've evolved from that now to like having sheets at every rack with a whole block on there. Um, like three or five weeks of, of training at a time and each sport not necessarily each sport has their own team but each block of sports that are competing in the same season time frame of the season whatever will have you know their workout and they can read it at their at their rack um it's got notes in there and stuff i'll send that stuff to the coaches with videos so they can help coach so logistically that's how that's how i do it we don't have ipads at every rack with team build or anything like that yet um but you know i've tried to get get a system going where they have the things that they need at their rack so they don't have to say i, oh, I can't see the board because that was an excuse a lot of times last year i'm like well just take a couple steps over and look at the board and then go back to your rack um but now i've got the sheet there they've got their sets and reps there and it might be that you know everyone's doing a squat pattern but baseball is doing this version because they're in season and basketball is doing this version because they're off season um, but the same, basically the same template I'll use for every, every group. So obviously you're in Texas now, but it wasn't so long ago that you were very far away from Texas undertaking your PhD down in New Zealand. So tell us a bit about that. How did that pop up? What, what was the, I mean, that must've been a big gamble to, to relocate from America to New Zealand. What talk us through that whole experience. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, it was kind of the same way I started my master's, but I was, I was finishing my undergrad and not really feeling ready to go into the workforce and not really, you know, knowing what all it entailed in terms of networking and doing all this extra stuff just to get a job. I thought you just, you get a degree and you can find a job, but it's not how it works. Um, so kind of same thing as I was finishing my master's, uh, I went to Appalachian state and there was some professors there that had contacts and had gone to Australia for their PhD and stuff. So, we would just get these emails coming in from, from AUT, from, from John Cronin, you know, about all these scholarship opportunities. And I'm like, man, I could go do a PhD, get paid 40 grand, which is more than you make as an assistant at a division one strength, division one college here as an assistant strength coach. And I could go like live in New Zealand. Like that's a pretty good deal. So it's not that I was pursuing that that hard as much as like, well, why not do that? Like that's, you know, it's going to take care of the next three or four years of my life. I'm going to, you know, come out with a PhD. Um, you know, I was always achievement driven and, and, you know, wanted to be the best at everything. So I'm like, okay, if I get a PhD, there's nothing more I can really do. Like I've, I've hit the top level um, in terms of academic achievements, I guess. Uh, so I was, I was, I reached out to JC, John Cronin and, um, you know, before I was even done and was, was in the works and talking to him about different scholarships. And he's like, well, you still have a whole nother year yet. So there's not a lot we can do. Um, 
So it's like, okay, I just keep making good grades at grad school. And uh, as I was finishing there, I, I was just going to, I was planning to go out there and just self-fund a PhD. And I was big into powerlifting and Eric Helms and uh, Scott Brown were out there and they had, um, I knew that they had done powerlifting research and, you know, very practical applied strength training stuff, which is what I liked. I didn't want to go, you know, do a PhD in a lab, you know, studying molecular biology or anything. So um, I'm like, oh, this is, they do cool research. Like I'll just go take my research paper I wrote for my master's class and like try to, you know, expand on that. And it was basically looking at the differences between deadlift styles. So we are talking about that and I was, I was getting ready to do that. And then, um, John Cronin, cause we were in connection now. So he had these series of scholarships opening up, working with these high schools there. There was like three or four roles they had opening around the same time. And they were just trying to look at, you know, they basically placed at different schools trying to hit different parts of youth development so they could, you know, have a good overall picture of it. And, um, so that's how that ended up working out really was like during through all this time of me just getting ready to go out there and self-fund myself and do powerlifting research she's like hey well what are your thoughts on this and it was a great role because it was applied it was within a school and i you know coaching was part of the phd and there was coaching i could do outside the phd so it could keep my you know me coaching too instead of if i was doing this other research i'd i'd have to find my own coaching it wouldn't meld with my phd um all that so it just seemed like a and it was funded there was a scholarship for it so it was kind of just a the stars aligning at the right time in the right place and uh that's what that's what sent me out there and then i had always wanted to go to new zealand and and travel and stuff so that seemed just like a good you know life experience to go out there and do it there i don't know if i would have done it anywhere in the u.s like i didn't want to get a phd no matter what it was kind of just like that was a good, a good reason and a good time to do it. Um, and I really wanted to do it there. I also had a, one of my mentors when I was doing my undergrad, uh, Frank Bourgeois, he, he went out there um, from Midwestern state here in Texas. And that kind of first turned my eyes onto it. I'm like, why is he going to New Zealand for a PhD? I didn't, I didn't know anything about AUT or Springs at that point. And then like, I kept hearing more about it and re read a cool paper and then see like all these people from AUT. And I'm like, oh man, like, that's awesome. So just a culmination of little things here and there. And then when it finally became realistic, then I was like, this is, this is going to be good. So tell us a bit about the research that you're looking at, because I think uh, some of it's got some real interesting kind of themes running through it. So give us a bit of an overview of, I mean, obviously you conduct multiple studies, but what was kind of the, the theme that you were investigating? Yeah. So I, I really wanted to, to dive into the topic of, um, you know, Olympic lifting and the controversy of, is it beneficial? Is it not beneficial uh, for for development? Um, that that was the overarching kind of kind of thing, and I wasn't necessarily biased. I had my own viewpoints of what I thought, but I wanted to take a an objective uh, approach to it and see, you know, there's not a lot of research in that area, so I wanted to try to provide uh, some in that area just to be able to refer refer to in the future. Um, and so that was, that was really the main thing was like, there's a lot of coaches talking and saying, oh, we can get the same things with med balls and jumps as, you know, Olympic lifting. And I just wanted to, there is no research really looking at that. I wanted to, you know, provide some data and say, well, actually, you know, 
there is some some things we can actually use an evidence-based approach instead of it takes too long to teach or it's too advanced blah blah, blah. Uh, i wanted to to provide some data in that area because there wasn't really a lot out there and especially in youth um where where i believe is where it needs to be taught the earlier the better kind of thing um so that that's what kind of sparked me going down that path mm. And what I liked about your, your PhD was, as you kind of said, said, there was a lot of coaching involvement and involvement in the school, like obviously this part around integrating resistance training into a high school curriculum and then basically seeing the outcomes of that. So what did that journey look like of the actual research in terms of how you, how you got things integrated and then the results you started to see? Yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a long process. So the, the degrees there are, are all research-based, so there's no coursework. Um, it's, it's typically, you know, three years is what you have to get it done. Uh, some people finish earlier, some some later, but how it was set up there and for what I wanted to do with a, with a longer intervention, um, basically the first year I was there, I was just in the school, uh, writing up you know, my proposal, getting accustomed to everything. They had what they called the Sports Institute at the school, St. John's College. Um, and it was, uh, you know, a, a class they could take or trial to get into. So they trial as a year eight to get into this class. Um, and it was basically catered to their, their top sports. So basketball, rugby, um, rowing, football, and cricket. And what this class allowed them to do, it was in addition to PE. So it wasn't in place of PE like things are here. It was you take PE and you also can take this as like an elective. Um, and then during the school day, you can get more specialized training for your sport, whatever that is. And me and with all the, um, you know, talk around early specialization and stuff like that, I wanted to kind of turn this class into a more general athletic development class uh, that could cater for many sports because we had some good athletes in non-traditional sports, like, you know, some martial artists, um, some track guys that, that were high level athletes, they just weren't getting any support. Um, they didn't really have a strength and conditioning program there or anything. So they had they had a, a bit of a weight room, um, but they didn't really have any system about how they used it or anything. Um, so that was my approach was like, okay, can we take this class that caters for more sports specific training? So like, you're already doing all this rowing and now you're gonna come row or learn the technique more. Um, and can we, you know, work on athletic development, building up a base, building some strength and movement skills, which is going to benefit you for your sport. But if you play multiple sports, then it's going to benefit multiple sports. Um, and if you play these other sports that we are not catering for, it's going to allow for more diversity within the class. So the first year was kind of changing that and, um, you know, working on, on just getting those relationships built within the school for the, the, the people all need um, their help with. So other PE teachers there, uh, that was basically the first year. And I was just writing alongside that, my proposal. And um, I don't think, I actually don't think we, we really changed much in terms of the, how the class ran. Like they still did their sports specific stuff, but we, you know, they allowed me some time to do some other stuff. So I would take a warm up and do some athletic stuff or, Every once in a while, I'd, I would run a workout, you know, for everyone instead of them breaking up into their sports. But they still, um, you know, basketball went and did more basketball stuff. 
So the second year we got everything in place where we ch basically changed the name from the Sports Institute Athlete Development Program. Um, it was more broad. So we had sub trial process, but we made it more general. So instead of coming and doing cricket drills to see which cricketers we were going to take, we came and did some broad jumps, some sprints, some, uh, we got there. Don't think we did their maturation, but we, I think we got their, um, parents information. We tried to, we tried to figure out their, uh, predicted adult height. I can't remember if that was the second or third year, but either way, the trial process was more broad so we could get, you know, some different athletes in there. Um, and then we basically were set up to do the, the intervention that second year. So we were going to try to roll it out for over the four terms, um, have different training blocks each term. And, uh, you know, it would be all about athletic development and this resistance training program instead of they didn't do any sports stuff that year, really. Um, and that that's that's kind of how it was. And then in the third year, we carried that program on. My research was done, um, but because we weren't trying to stick to this strict intervention and timetables and program, it was a bit more, you know, varied in what we did. But it was the same premise of, you know, we have some really good athletes in these other sports. Can we can we help them out too? Instead of, you know, just our main sports that are that we're focusing on at the school. Hmm. So what were some of the outcomes of the, the research that you did in terms of obviously you, you mentioned motor skill and, and obviously some of the other things around injury risk factors and movement competencies. So what were some of the results that you saw from that? Yep. So one of our studies was just a cross-sectional study looking at uh, the relationship between strength and some of these different motor skills. And what we found was um, relative strength was most important for a lot of these motor skills had the highest Correlations um, and regression analysis showed that you know higher relative strength was more important for uh, sprint performance and jump performance. Um, then looking at the actual intervention, uh, what we found was the groups. So we had a weightlifting group that did weightlifting movements, and we had a traditional resistance training group that did similar but different uh, movements. So that's that's kind of now, I set it up that way because that's the argument is why do a clean if I could just do a deadlift and, you know, and a jump. So it's like, okay, we're getting a similar range of motion and we're trying to hit similar loads or uh, velocities, but it's easier to teach. Um, that, that's kind of what where I was looking at is if you weren't, okay, if you weren't going to do a clean or a, or a snatch, what, what are you going to do? And let's do that stuff and see if, if there's any merit to that. Uh, we didn't find a whole lot of difference between the groups over the course of the year. Uh, what we did find with both groups was that strength and movement skill improved earlier in the intervention. So over the first two terms, uh, their jump and throw performance did not really improve and their sprint performance, but we found their isometric mid-thigh strength and we used the resistance training skills battery as our movement skill uh, indicator. And we found those improved earlier on, which um, was interesting, but makes sense as you kind of look into it more. And then the sprint jump and throw performance improved more in the second half of the year uh, as loads increase. So that was kind of an insight because, you know, you kind of get those novice gains. If you have no training age and you are learning how to do movements correctly and mainly these, you know, resistance training movements that, that we tested, we didn't necessarily perform all those movements throughout the whole year, but we did perform some of them and most of them at times. Um, 
and it was just you know the test that we we chose to use because we're looking specifically at resistance training um so you know as you get instruction with that and the load is light your your movement skills gonna improve and then once you have a perfect score on the squat it can't really improve anymore anyway so you can't really expect it to always keep going up um and then same with strength like they get these kind of novice strength gains early on and then they keep getting stronger but not quite as much as they establish a baseline level of strength and then over the course of the year um you know those as their nervous system becomes more coordinated i suppose they they're able to translate those strength gains and in, into their their strength sprint jump and throw performance so we ran a 10 20 30 meter sprint uh we did vertical and horizontal jumps and we did uh just a seated med ball chest pass those were kind of like our athletic measures and then for strength we did isometric mid dive pull and a um resistance training skills battery and that was kind of uh our big study looking at motor skill performance and then we we did another study that was using those same tests but looking at um the effects on injury risk factors so landing kinematics we did a the tuck jump assessment which is repeated jumps for 10 seconds and there's a you know a movement screen criteria that you that you rate based on that and we did the y balance test to see you know if it improved balancers or any um, asymmetries and we found not a whole lot going on there either uh, both groups improved their their overall movement skill and the traditional resistance training group improved their tuck jump performance more um, or significantly over the course of the year the weightlifting group did not resistance training did they uh, reduced the amount of errors they were making when they performed a tuck jump so my thoughts are they were potentially able to load movements heavier they improved their strength more um, they were actually performing jumps and depth jumps instead of you know snatches and stuff or clean and jerks or we didn't jerk cleans um, and so they actually got a bit more specific practice at that and and improve their strength a bit more over the course of the year. Um, so that that was that was our main findings from the experimental stuff uh, with with the other chapters earlier on and setting the scene for for everything you kind of alluded to earlier. But and it's really my the paper that's gotten the most traction was my first chapter um, was just looking at different models of, of resistance training because I wanted to build a whole picture of you know, I didn't want to get too specific with weightlifting and, you know, is it beneficial? I wanted to, to show how it fits within the overall scheme of training youth and, and how you can implement it. So the first chapter was looking at different uh, long-term athletic development models and youth training models and aligning them together to see these different, you know, training stages that, that a lot of models have and share and, you know, where weightlifting fits into that and how you could integrate it. Um, as well as strength training and balance and plyometrics and stuff like that. And then more specifically, so that was a very broad overall approach. Then my next chapter was kind of narrowing, the, narrowing that down into how do you actually implement these ideas into a school setting. And that paper basically has my intervention in a, a template or a way of how we went about uh, organizing our model there. Um, so it's specific to, to our school system, but anywhere in Australia or New Zealand and maybe the UK probably has a similar setup in terms of the different terms and you know how you do progress things over time. 
the U.S. is a little different, but it's, you know, I take a similar approach here. It's just, you know, how you can progress, yeah, different movement patterns over time and how you change variables based on their training age and stuff like that. And then, yeah, we got into the more um, experimental stuff where we're actually saying, okay, once you do this type of intervention, what kind of effects can it have um, on, on youth and their performance? No, I think uh, there's a lot of value in, in your PhD study for those who are, are operating in this realm, because as you said, basically, you've kind of summarized all the different models out there for them, which a lot of people, first of all, aren't aware of, you know, people might have heard of long term athletic development theory, but they haven't heard of the physical development model, or I always forget the name of Jean Cote's one. But, um, you know, I think you did a really good job there of comparing and contrasting those models, um, because a lot of people tend to just go with the first one they've heard and, and off they go and, you know, not all, not not all models we know all models aren't perfect but they all have some utility and i think you did a really good job of pulling that out there but then the you know again as you said there a really practical kind of like snapshot of like well here's actually what i did like here's the program here's what it looks like here's how we integrate it into a school and then these are the effects so for those people who are maybe trying to reinvent the wheel in their individual school you've kind of set out well look here's someone who's already managed to do that you don't need to go in and reinvent the wheel or you know we often people particularly like yourself you know there might be one coach operating in a school and there's one coach operating in a school you know a few miles away and everyone's trying to do stuff on their own whereas actually you've laid out a really good kind of journey if you like of, of how to do this and how to integrate it yeah no that was that was the goal was that was to have people that either not necessarily weren't experienced because you still want qualified coaches rolling this stuff out but you know just yeah having having a bit of structure and a plan of how you do it and you know ours was focused on kind of early training group um you know low training age and very introductory model but you could easily and there's some other papers out there that there's a really good paper out there i think it's ian jeffries that has a, a four-step model of a high school so it's got four different years and how you can you know progress each year over time but a lot of the the papers are just so general and and broad that you know it gives you good conceptual ideas of, of things and theoretical things, but there's not a lot out there in terms of like, okay, so what do I, when I go into the gym Monday, what am I going to do? You know, and, and that's where I think there is a, is a, and is an area for more research, uh, definitely, but, you know, having more insight into the in interventions that are in papers, a lot of times they just freeze over the training section to get into the results. And it's like, well, the training is, is, is the important part because if a team wants, if you get good results and a team wants to go do your training, you know, the more details you can provide on that, the better. Um, so I think, yeah, ha having more stuff out there that gives insight into, and especially into real schools, not, not theoretical concepts, which mine was, but that is actually what we use, but things that, okay, this is what we did and this is what worked. There's also a good paper from James Baker that's similar title, um, you know, integrating SNC in the school setting and he's got examples of you know oh our 10 meter went from this to this after this training block and stuff like that like that that's good stuff I think for coaches um, even if you do know what you're doing or have an idea it's still good to either verify what you are doing is kind of on the right path or give you yeah some ideas just about how to structure your things a bit yeah I think that's really important because I mean I'm, I'm sure we probably share the same perspective that we would love it if the best coaches in the world were operating at the youth level um, because you just set the future up for success. But the reality is, certainly in the UK, it's actually where 
probably the least experienced coaches are operating. Um, and once they've done their time and paid their dues, they move on to a university or an institute or a professional club because the wages are better. Um, so that's where they go. So you often end up with people repeating the mistakes. But, but you know, having people like, you know, Ian Jeffries with his Cougar Power model, James Baker with his and yours here shows it kind of almost helps people shortcut that process. Like you don't have to make the mistakes because someone's made them for you and, and here's how you can do it. But the fact that, you know, I don't know, you know, obviously you'll have done a meta-analysis and got more out there, but the fact that we can name three off the top, but I don't think there's that much more out there of people who've gone, here's in the real world what I actually did um, in a school setting or, you know, in a high school setting. And here's how you could go and replicate it. As you said, people tend to skip over that. And it's like, well, hang on, that's the bit I was, I was reading the journal for. I want to see what you did. I want to know how I can go and apply that to my context. Whereas often people, as you say, just skip to the results. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's, there's another good group in Australia that does, I don't know exactly who's on that or, or what even school they're from, but I just know that there's a bunch of studies coming out with them doing resistance training interventions in the high school setting, uh, but with like 10,000 kids kind of thing. Like they're, they're very large scale. Um, and I know it's stuff with app and it's, it's not all performance based and it's you know, more around overall health measures, but it's still, you know, a good look at, um, yeah, what people are doing. It, 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 it can be integrated in schools um, and, it, and it is effective. And it's interesting kind of what you were saying as, cause it's kind of flipping here a little bit cause the, we're getting some really good coaches at the high school levels. And, and I guess we've had them for a long time over here, but, but more people are realizing that it's a really good setting in terms, because like you said, in the UK and maybe other places, the higher up you go, the more you get paid. But here it's, it's almost the other way around. Like the ceiling is higher at the D1 school, but the floor is so much lower. So, you know, it, yeah, there is a strength coach here that makes 800 grand, but there's like 10 of, you know, there's like, 10 that make over 100 or 200 or whatever. And then everyone else is, you know, if you're not the head guy at a big school, you know, you see a lot of assistant jobs for 35, 45K. And it's like almost any high school that's a full-time role, you're going to be making more than that. You're going to work less hours. It's going to be less stressful. Um, you're not going to have to travel. Like it's better, you know, it's better lifestyle and it's more pay. So it's, you know, I think there's now we're getting some good coaches coming down from college uh, into the high school setting and just coaches are are seeking out the high school setting instead of like a backup plan like, oh, I couldn't make it or oh, I'm not progressing. Um, now, there is still a lot of work to be done at the high school level here. Uh, there's strength and conditioning at the high school level ran by sport coaches and some of it's OK and some of it's not so good, um, but it's it's definitely serious enough to like get some traction and, and get funding for it over time and stuff. Um, so I think that will, that will continue to improve. Um, but you definitely do see some, some good coaches, especially here in Texas, it seems like uh, that at the high school level that, that are doing, you know, good stuff. They get good support to do what they need to do. And, uh, yeah, and it's and you can see it in their athletes and like it's the kids the, the athletes that you know go on to you know the next level. They're they're prepared very well, some of them. So. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think the UK is maybe I used to say ten years behind. Maybe I'm leaning more towards twenty these days. But mm -hmm. like if you look at, at the trends that come out of America and you wait a decade, they come out in the UK. Um, CrossFit, collegiate um, SNC coaches, 
high school SNC coaches is the one I'm seeing now. If I kind of go back 10 years ago when I was, you know, doing my undergrad, you didn't really see SNC jobs in a high school or in a secondary school here in the UK. It didn't really happen. And if it was, it was someone who was a PE teacher that was maybe doing this on the side. Um, whereas now, you know, even in the last month, I've seen, you know, SNC jobs coming up. So I do think you're right in that trend. Um, you know, people are starting to value it. Hopefully we can follow in your footsteps and get people who are more experienced coaches choosing to be there rather than, you know, people choosing that as their first step to somewhere else. Um, so I think that trend's interesting because I always keep an eye on what you guys are doing over there because I think, oh, 10 years time, that'll be us. So <laughs> it's interesting to see that. So looking, kind of summarizing your research and, you know, for those people who are, you know, I guess wanting a kind of snapshot, what would be your kind of general thoughts or recommendations from what you, you kind of, uh, your findings and, and your summary of your research? So I think um, the, the, the biggest takeaway, especially with the weightlifting movements is it's safe and it's effective. Um, there's not a lot of kids that got hurt. Well, no one got hurt doing the weightlifting movements um, throughout the, the whole intervention. Uh, and it's effective. It's essentially just as effective as a resistance training, um, regular, you know, traditional resistance training for improving these measures of performance. So I think there's two ways to look at that. And, it, and your bias is going to basically, you know, tell you how you look at it. But you could say, oh, there's no difference between the training group, so we shouldn't use it because we can get the same benefits from these other things. Or you could say, oh, there's no difference between the group, so you might as well give them another tool in their toolbox. And this other method of training that they can, if they keep practicing, might be more beneficial later on the road. So that was kind of a limitation was, you know, a lot of our training was so light that it was very technique based and, um, you know, we didn't really get a lot of load on there until the fourth term when they were doing cleans from the ground with, you know, some of them probably 60 kilos or something. Uh, but, you know, if we were to carry that study on for two, three, four years, and now, you know, one person's cleaning 120 and one person's deadlifting 140 and doing a jump, like now are those things the same comparable as what we were doing, you know, week three of the program? Um, so that would, so that's, you know, another way you could look at it is, well, if there is no difference between them, why would you not just teach them one more method of training? Uh, but, you know, overall recommendations, you know, keep really, it comes back to kind of just general things, even without my research, but keeping it basic in terms of not getting super fancy with your training and, um, smart progressive overload with what you're doing so having a good progression plan of the movements that you're progressing and the way you are modifying the load and tempos and things over time um and then variety you know giving kids different movements to master and different uh, movement challenges to uh, enhance their overall you know coordination i think is key um so that's probably the main, the main things. And it's not so much for my experimental stuff as the, you know, some of it is just the overall theme that was in the, you know, the first lit review with, with the different models, that's kind of the theme you see. And then it's just how, how can I integrate those within, within my system and setting? And it's going to be different for everyone, but if you stick to the basic principles of adaptation and, you know, performance, uh, I think that's, that's going to be the biggest thing in, you know, the methods are few, many, but the principles are few. So 
your program can look very different, but as long as you're sticking to like the basic uh, key principles of training, I think you'll, you'll, you're on the right path and then everyone's going to have their own spin on that. But, um, you know, it's safe and effective and, um, you know, do it the best you can in your, in your give, setting, given your constraints and whatnot. Yeah, I think I'd really recommend if, you know, if people haven't come across your, your articles um, or your publications, you know, to jump on ResearchGate and have a look, particularly if they're working, you know, in an environment similar like a high school or secondary school, because I think, you know, it's something that I've given to my interns because often, you know, at universities, they're taught all about potentiation and bands and chains and, you know, force plates and on all the kind of funky stuff. And then they go to work in an academy and they've got absolutely no clue about long-term athletic development, the use physical development model or any of these things, concepts that actually form 90% of the athlete's journey. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, I have specifically in our curriculum for our interns, I've, I've included your work here because I think it is really valuable and it plugs a gap that a lot of people have when they come out of university because this isn't given enough due there. So I, I would really recommend people go and check you out on ResearchGate and, uh, and have a look at what you've put together there because it does form a good a really useful and valuable piece of knowledge that maybe isn't isn't there uh, there elsewhere. So where can people find you uh, social media wise and, and on ResearchGate, et cetera? Where, where are you hanging out these days? Uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of out there on, on a lot of different stuff. Uh, Instagram. I don't have like a coaching Instagram. I just have a personal Instagram um, that I mainly post my own training on there. I don't I've got a also Instagram and that's just uh, Andrew Pichardo. I've got a Instagram for the school account that I run that has some more of our actual training, which is TL underscore strength. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I have a YouTube channel. I don't really post a lot of stuff on there, but ResearchGate um, and, and Twitter, Instagram is probably probably the best way to, to see some of the stuff that I actually do. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can connect with me anywhere, email uh facebook and any any anything that you use you can connect if you have any questions um but those are the, the so so what's next for you what's coming up on the horizon uh, in the next 12 months uh i mean just gonna keep you know doing what i'm doing it's 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 weird because this is our second year this is my second year at this school and it's it's a different schedule than we had last year um, next year we're gonna have a different schedule than we had this year so like three years three different school schedules three different logistical workings that I'm having to do. Uh, but we're getting a new new facilities built. So new indoor turf space, new weight room next year, or coming in the summer. Um, so a couple months for, for that to be ready, which will be good. Um, I'm just, I mean, I don't really have any other big plans coming up uh, that I know of right now. I'm just, you know, trying to improve my coaching practice. And, you know, we're getting some more hoping to get some more technology in and try to integrate that um, in a bit more. Uh, I don't, I'm not really doing a whole lot of research stuff right now. We've got some other kind of side projects going on, um, but I don't have like an agenda that I'm carrying out or anything. So I would love to continue that aspect of, you know, and some of the work that I did before, cause I'm at a, I'm at a place with a lot of athletes coming through the door um, and you know, we don't have a strict testing protocol set up, but it's very, you know, it's logistically, it can work to just do some data collection here and there and like start to get some, um, some ideas churning and, you know, testing some ideas out. So I'm going to, you know, 
slowly work on trying to do some of that, but I'm not in a university setting, so it's kind of difficult. Uh, but yeah, just just continue to keep coaching and I just took on some online clients starting to do that this year. So I'm gonna try to build that up a little bit. Um, yeah. Nice. Well, thanks so much for your time today. I really, I uh, know it's great to have someone to be able to come on and explain their research, especially when it's this specific to the kind of domain that we're working in. So thanks a lot, you know, again, for your time and your effort today. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a number of simple things you can do to help support the podcast. First, hit subscribe on your chosen podcast player so you're kept up to date with the latest episode releases. Second, you can leave us a review to help us reach more coaches and parents like yourself. Third, you can send this episode on to a coach or friend to help spread the word. And then fourth, you can find us on social media, on Facebook using Athletic Evolution and on Instagram and Twitter using the handle at Athletic Evo UK.